thank you for downloading this podcast from Gaimere Baptist Church. You can find out more about our church at our website, gaimerebaptist.org.au. May God speak to you as you listen. Uh, today's Bible reading comes from Mark chapter 1, verses 40 to 45. And it's titled, Jesus Heals a Man with Leprosy. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees. If you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go Show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Amen. Good morning. Would you join with me in prayer as I begin this morning? Father God, we thank you uh, for this season, this season of Advent, a season of expectation, uh, of waiting for this celebration to come, of uh, Jesus' inbreaking into the world. And Father, I pray this morning that uh, we would have hearts that are open to the inbreaking presence of your Holy Spirit. Lord, would you shape us and mold us, uh, prepare us, Lord, to serve you more greatly in this world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This is a public service announcement. The start of this sermon may sound a little bit depressing, but please do stay on the journey. Our arrival at Hope is shortly coming. Seriously, please hang in there. We aren't designed to do life alone. But a 16-year study in Australia reports that one in six Australians say they are always or often lonely, which means that loneliness is not just restricted to elderly widows. One of the groups that is uh, most affected, according to this study, are men between the ages of 45 and 64. But loneliness isn't just an emotionally upsetting problem. Loneliness and isolation are actually impacting our health. In fact, a UK study showed that isolation has a comparable risk factor to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. For some, isolation is literally killing us. And even our attempts to eliminate isolation can backfire. Advances in communication mean that we have more ways than ever to stay in touch with other people. Phones keep us connected. Social media allows us to see snippets of what's happening in the lives of other people. And these are good and helpful tools. I don't want us to sit here demonizing those things. They are important things. In fact, they make my relationship with my family, who live on the other side of the world, far richer and far more meaningful. But greed and addiction and the nature of being human can turn anything into a distraction which fuels isolation. 
And for those thinking that this doesn't apply to them, even the invention of the printing press moved humans away from the face-to-face -face interactions of storytelling. And we in the church are not immune to the dangers of isolation. Another survey of Australian churches, this time in 2016, states that four out of ten single or unmarried worshippers reported feeling inadequate or worse, ignored within the context of their church, with more than one-third claiming they were treated entirely differently to those who appeared, at least, to be happily married. Our own National Church Life Survey report from 2016 states that 45% of this church said they wanted to focus on building community, but 7% of our church, of us, said that we'd be willing to follow up someone who was drifting away. I know, this is upsetting things. But the glorious news that comes after probably the most depressing start to a sermon this year <laughs> is that Jesus' presence means even more than God being with us. It means even more than us not being alone. Jesus' presence is the presence that breaks us out of isolation into relationship with God and relationship with one another. Now, this is the first sermon in a new series entitled, We Are Not Alone, our new Christmas series. And as I mentioned in my prayer, we are at week one of Advent, this season of expectation, preparing the way for the coming of our King. But we, in this series, will be exploring the reality that God is not only with us, God does not just arrive and then be there, but He proactively reaches out to us, and that that action of God coming, reaching out towards us, brings with it great and extraordinary hope. And this passage that we've had read to us this morning really speaks to that, and in particular, the hope that we have in Jesus to break us free from isolation, and we really need that. Have a look at Mark 1, uh, verse 40 in your Bibles now. This story is an incredibly beautiful one. There's uh, extraordinary things happening in here, and I hope over the course of this morning that you begin to see some more of the richness in this. Maybe you know this is the thousandth time you've read it, but it's incredible, and it really moved me as I prepared for this message this week. Just before uh, the passage that we've had read to us this morning in verse 37, we hear Simon and some of the other disciples uh, declare to Jesus that everyone is looking for you. Everyone is looking for Jesus. This extraordinary man who was preaching the kingdom of God, the nearness of the kingdom of God, who was casting out demons and who was healing the sick, Everyone is looking for this man, perhaps unsurprisingly. But despite Jesus' best efforts to sort of stay hidden and to hide away from the crowds, a man with leprosy finds him. 
Let's just take a moment to consider the extraordinary nature of what's just happened in that sentence. A man with leprosy, leprosy finds him. A man who would have been considered so unclean, both physically and spiritually, that he had to live totally isolated from the rest of society, completely separate, forced to walk around in torn, tatty clothes so that everyone clearly knew from a distance who this man was, with only his lower face showing. And he had to yell out consistently, unclean, unclean, separated from society by his fears and his own shame. And this man, with significantly reduced chances of hearing any of the hearsay about this man, Jesus, somehow hears about Jesus. And then... He finds him. This is even more incredible than us driving into Miranda Westfield on Christmas Eve and finding a spot to park in. And we simply have to conclude from this that Jesus can be found. That Jesus can be found. And more than that, it seems that Jesus wants to be found. Which may not seem remarkable to you, But when you've got absolutely nothing left, you are at the end of your rope. When you have lived as an outcast your entire life, suffered immeasurable pain and isolation, and now you are standing in front of someone who may be able to eradicate this from your life forever, this is remarkable. A remarkable interaction. And even more remarkable when we discover what Jesus does next. Because... What we discover is that Jesus is willing, willing to heal this man, willing to break him free from his chains of isolation. Now, just as an aside here, verse 41 says uh, that Jesus is indignant. And I struggled with this word uh, for a little while as I was preparing this sermon. But indignant, it kind of sounds quite out of character for Jesus, like, I can't imagine him being like, oh, you want me to do what? It just doesn't sound like the Jesus that we have come to know and love. And I don't believe that Jesus would be angry about someone coming to him in a posture of humility, expressing faith, and asking from him to heal him. Some early scrolls of Mark's gospel have a word instead of the word that we have for indignant here, that means moved to compassion, which feels a whole lot easier to digest. But people are arguing about which one is the oldest, which one is actually what was written first. But I wonder if what is actually meant here is that Jesus' anger was actually directed at sin and evil in the world. And that Jesus' indignance is not at the man, but at the suffering and isolation that this man has experienced for all of his life. And this anger uh, that has arisen from experiencing and seeing the suffering this man has been through moves Jesus to one of the most shockingly radical acts in Scripture. Imagine yourself being out 
uh, on the town, in the city, you've just been to a great restaurant. And you step out of that restaurant and remember that your St. John's Ambulance first aid training card is in your wallet. And then you come across this homeless person. I mean, you're making that assumption. Lying there in the street, open sores on their feet. And from a distance, it looks like there's a possibility this person is not breathing. And then when you get in closer, you discover there's vomit around this homeless man's mouth. Would you start CPR knowing that you might be able to save this man's life? But what will I catch? Not only did Jesus overcome all of these emotions when he came face to face with this man, but he broke every religious law, this every religious ritual about uncleanness. He put everything aside, and the touch that should have made Jesus unclean restored this man, brought healing to this man, made this man clean. Jesus was willing. And not only was Jesus willing, but he could see the full picture of this man's life. He could see the full reality. And he didn't just see faith and humility in this posture of this man who is on his knees before Jesus in an act of subservience that would have been so extraordinary to come close to someone's knees, says, I am less than you. He didn't just see that act. He saw a man's desire to be free from all that had enslaved him. He saw this man's isolation. He saw his wandering on the margins. He saw his exclusion from society. He saw his displacement. He saw his refugee-like status. And Jesus knew that he had the power to break this man free from that place. Imagine this homeless person that I mentioned before now. Life saved, healed, fully restored, washed, clean, restored into society, now selling ice creams and everyone willingly approaching him. Because that's the next remarkable truth that we discover about Jesus in this story. Yes, Jesus had the power to bring healing to this man's physical condition. But most extraordinarily, Jesus had the power to break this man free from the chains of isolation. We all know the virtue of someone dying for someone else taking their place. It rightly sounds like the most extraordinarily selfless act that someone can do for another. And when Jesus reached the end of his earthly life and work, he went to the cross to die in place of those who would choose to believe and accept what he had done for them. But Jesus' death did not just bring life. Jesus' death brought life in all its fullness. Because Jesus' death brings life with God, a life free from trying to go it alone, a life broken free 
from isolation, the isolation of thinking, I can do this on my own. A life free from everything that would seek to ensnare us once more in those chains of isolation. And that's because for a moment on the cross, and I don't fully understand how, Jesus takes isolation upon himself so that we don't have to. And when we read on in verse 45, that this man who once had leprosy couldn't contain what Jesus had done for him, and to be honest, who can blame him, we discover that he has now traded places with Jesus. Instead of a man with leprosy on the edges of society, it is Jesus who is now found in lonely places. And in this moment, Jesus breaks the power of isolation for this man. And this wasn't just isolation in a physical, relational sense. Not that that isn't important. God designed humanity to live in relationship with each other, bearing one another's burdens. Scripture commands us to care for the widow and the orphan, which speaks so strongly of God's attitude towards relational isolation. But this was also the deep longing of uh, a life isolated from a spiritual connection, a spiritual relationship, an enfolding into relationship with the source of all life, a life broken free from the chains of isolation, a life fully restored into the presence of God. So if this is all true, what does that mean for us? What does it mean for us to receive Jesus' power to break us free from isolation? Well, I think we have something to learn from the man with leprosy. And I just can't bring myself to call him the leper because I don't think Jesus saw him that way. When I arrived in Australia, I lived with a swim coach. So I took the opportunity to polish up my swimming technique and get a few proper lessons. But the problem is, I needed more than just a technique touch-up. You see, when I swim, I don't breathe at all, which makes me deadly over about 30 meters until I have to come up gasping for air. And the tough lesson that I had to learn in this process was that I needed a total overhaul on the way that I swim. The way that I swim was totally broken. Where is our brokenness? Where is our apparent competence hiding that brokenness? And where is that brokenness isolating us? These are the questions that this man must have faced before we encounter him in verse 40. Perhaps it feels like your whole life, or perhaps just a part of it. Do we have a manicured outer shell, but on the inside, we are wrestling with an addiction to pornography, with our own greed, with anger, bitterness, jealousy, and we are unable to talk about it with family, with friends, with our community here. 
these patterns in our life, hiding behind a polished Sunday best or a desire for more things for us to do, are only making us more isolated. This man reached an extraordinary place of honesty and vulnerability. And he laid himself bare before Jesus. And Jesus wants to be found by us. Let me remind you of that. Will we ask the question about our brokenness? And will we be honest with the answer that we hear? Because unspoken, it is only isolating us more. And once we have been honest about our brokenness, let's bring it to Jesus. It sounds simple, but are we actually bringing things to Jesus? A few weeks ago as a staff, uh, we took an opportunity to pray, and uh, the other Mark invited us to write down things that we might be struggling with and to bring them before Jesus. But what he said to us is what really stuck with me. Mark asked us to specifically write down the issue or the problem and bring that before God. Because often we only bring how we feel about that situation before God. And when we do that, we aren't actually giving over that issue to God for him to deal with. We aren't giving over our brokenness, only the impact that it has on us. This blew my mind. Yes, there is value in bringing all of our emotions, all that we feel before God, the impact of sin in our lives, bringing that to him But how often are we just asking God to take away that feeling of guilt or sadness rather than bringing the root of bitterness before him and asking him to be at work on that? This man came on his knees and brought his uncleanness before God, before Jesus. He specifically asked him, for what he needed to be changed in his life. And Jesus healed him. He healed his physical condition, whilst at the same time doing this extraordinary work of breaking him free from isolation. Are we willing to come on our knees before Jesus, set aside our fear and our shame and our desire to keep up appearances, and recognize that we need Jesus to do serious heart surgery on us. Because isolation is killing us. Lastly, unlike the conditions placed on this man with leprosy, we have got to speak out about the work of God in our lives. We have to speak out about what he's doing, what he's already done. Because The breaking of relational isolation is fully realized when we interact with other people, when we interact with the body of Christ, this community. And that is why we take time as a church to celebrate things that we see God doing in our lives, to ask that question, where do you see God at work in your life? And that can be publicly about the great things that God has done. We might want to share those stories with everyone. But it might also be the private telling with a few trusted friends 
about areas of brokenness in our lives, where actually God is still in the process of mending something that is not quite as he intended it to be. I have a friend who once came to me and asked me if they could talk to me about their addiction to pornography. And he was honest and upfront about this with me. He was honest and upfront about its impact on his marriage. And so we agreed to check in weekly with each other about that. For him to text me when he was struggling. And for me to join with him, stand alongside him wherever I was in the world, and to pray, to bring it before God. And after a while, things changed. Things changed. There's progression because of honesty, vulnerability, sharing what God is doing. In Revelation 12, 11, it says, they triumphed over him, that's the devil, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. When we speak with one another about what God is doing and confess what we need God to do, we are sharing the undeniable work of God in our lives. This brings hope. It fosters honesty and vulnerability in our community, but it also has the very happy side effect of breaking us free from isolation because we enter into the depths of relationship with one another where we are actually known. And let me tell you from my own experience that actually being known is far less exhausting than keeping a manicured shell in front of everyone that you meet on a Sunday. Let's recognize our brokenness. Let's come to Jesus and be honest about God's work in our lives because healing and freedom from isolation are on the other side of these things. We are not alone. I'm going to invite Mark and the band to join me back on the platform now. And we are going to continue as we have been for a while taking some time to respond to whatever God has been doing in our hearts over the course of this morning. I'll hand over to Mark now. Thanks, Mark. Well, uh, I said at the outset, I hope that you were expectant and anticipating that you'd hear from God this morning. Uh, because we don't believe that we just come to church to tick a box. We believe we come together because we are, as I kind of noted as Mark was speaking, um, we are here together as those who are broken and isolated, but who are encountering Jesus, aren't we? Because all of us have experienced isolation, um, whether it's crippling to us or not. We've all experienced that isolation. We've all experienced being alone in a crowd, haven't we? We've all experienced, whatever, for whatever reason, not loneliness, but isolation. It's, it's a common experience. So is jumping when there's a noise. <laughs> uh, but Mark's challenged us uh, from this text to be thinking a little bit about what God's saying. And so what I want to do is I want to invite you to be chatting with the people around you um, about, about a couple things. I'll give you a couple of options. Um, while it might be true that uh, honesty about our brokenness is an appropriate thing, that's probably beyond our, our grasp this morning, so we'll leave that one to one side. You may need to have a good conversation with someone close to you at some later date, but this morning, let me give you a couple questions to answer. First of all, 
did God speak to you this morning? Have you heard from God this morning? Has he invited you into something? Out of what we just heard, is there something that, something that you need to do? Do you, do you sense that God's been in this for you? Or secondly, where have you seen God at work in the last couple of weeks? Answered prayer, a strange coincidence that you suspect wasn't, um, a time in worship or in prayer or in the word when you really felt God kind of inviting you into something, he's spoken to you in some way, or some opportunity that you've encountered at work or at school or in your neighborhood uh, to be participating with what, what God's doing. So I'm gonna give you a, I'm gonna give you three or four minutes to just kind of have a bit of a conversation with the people around you, either about what you feel God's inviting you into today or about where you've seen God at work. And let's begin to break some of that isolation that we can sometimes feel and remind ourselves that we're in this together. So off you go, give you a few minutes to do that, and then I'll call us together again and we'll respond in worship and in prayer. All right. Just want to bring those conversations to a close. I hope they were conversations not just about what you're doing this weekend or what you did this week, but that they were genuine conversations about what God's doing. Because uh, as a community of faith, we really want to see what God's doing. Just as a matter of interest, uh, how many of you uh, have had an answer to prayer in the last couple of weeks? Yeah, that's encouraging. Uh, how many of you have heard the Spirit of God speak to you in prayer or in worship or in the Word in the last couple of weeks? How many of you have felt that you've been invited to participate in something that God's doing in the world? Ah. How many of you have had a strange coincidence that you suspect is not? Hmm. That's pretty encouraging, isn't it? It suggests that God is indeed at work in our midst and inviting us to continue to participate, which is great. I think one of the most uh, profound things out of that passage that Mark shared this morning, you know, uh, the, the freedom that we can gain from Jesus, but that simple idea that Jesus can be found and indeed wants to be found. Uh, that connection of everyone, everyone was looking for Jesus, but the only person who found him or who was found by Jesus, and I'm not sure which one it is, was this leper. And this fellow who was, well, not a leper, a man who had leprosy and was isolated because of it. And you just think, oh, that's pretty remarkable. And so can I just remind you of that truth? And uh, in the next few weeks, whenever you're looking for that elusive parking spot, can I remind you that while the parking spot may be hard to find, Jesus is not. Remember that this Christmas. That'll be a lesson that you'll remember every single day, won't you? Uh, and that, of course, leads us into, as we respond, we want to respond both in, in song, but also in prayer. Members of our prayer team will be down the front. Uh, and it's an opportunity for us not only to express our thanks and praise to God for what He's doing in our lives and as individuals and as a community of faith and in the world, but also an opportunity to bring those things before God. So if there's a, a prayer request that you would really like an answer for, if you'd like to be one of the ones to kind of put your hand up and say, yes, I've had an answer to prayer, why don't you come forward? Let's pray about that together. There's an opportunity to participate that God's given to you and you know that God's doing something in the life of your neighbor or the life of your friend or the life of your family, then why don't we come and pray about that? If there's a need that you're experiencing right now, a need for wisdom or for healing or for insight or whatever might, that might be, why don't you come forward? Let's pray about that. Let's pray about these things and, and care for one another in that way. But can I invite us to stand as the people of God and invite the prayer team forward and we're going to respond both in prayer and in worship.